Hit the reset button. Prevent quiet quitting and burnout. Copyright 2023. Engage University Publishing. Author and reader, Kelly Verla, CSP. www.engageuniversity.com. Table of Contents. Introduction. Page 4. Chapter 1. Dealing with Uncertainty. Page 7. Chapter 2. Mindset Mindfulness. Page 10. Chapter 3. Heart Set. Page 50. Chapter 4. Ways to Ensure a Higher EQ. Page 55. Chapter 5. Soul Set. Page 65. Chapter 6. Engagement Reset Strategies. Page 84. Chapter 7. Simplify, Simplify, Simplify. Page 92. Chapter 8. Skill Set. Page 101. Chapter 9. Hit the Reset Button. Action Planning Checklist. Page 106. About the Author. Page 119. Introduction. Hit the Reset Button provides a roadmap to help you and your teams navigate the complexities and distractions of post-pandemic life. With the sudden shift to remote and hybrid working, many of us have lost the connectivity and sense of community we once had with our colleagues. Additionally, the future seems uncertain, leaving many of us feeling overwhelmed and adrift. Hit the Reset button offers a solution to these challenges by helping you and your team find traction and productive action amidst the chaos. That's exactly how many of us feel in today's fast-paced world. But just as you might hit the reset button on your computer to clear your mind and refocus, you know, you could do the same for your personal and professional life. Throughout Hit the Reset button, you'll learn how to optimize your mindset, heart set, soul set, and skill set to find traction and productive action no matter how chaotic the world may seem. With practical tips, exercises, real-world examples, you'll discover how to overcome distractions increase your productivity, and create meaningful connections with yourself and others. So why wait? If you're ready to hit the reset button in your world, then let's get started. You'll find a comprehensive approach and actionable insights, so you'll be equipped with the tools you need to succeed in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world. Your reset button awaits. Why I Wrote This Book I wrote this book because I believe that we all have the potential to achieve great things, even in the face of uncertainty and chaos. However, to do so, we must learn how to navigate the complexities of post-pandemic life and find productive action amidst the distractions. As a coaching consultant, I have seen firsthand how many individuals and teams struggle to stay focused and motivated in today's fast-paced world. That's why I created Hit the Reset Button to provide a comprehensive guide for anyone looking to optimize their mindset, heart set, soul set, and skill set. I am passionate about helping others achieve their goals and realize their full potential. Throughout this book, I hope to inspire readers to take control of their lives, overcome distractions, and create meaningful connections with others. Whether you're a leader looking to inspire your team through uncertain times, a professional seeking to increase your productivity, or someone simply looking to hit the reset button and take charge of your life, this book is for you. I wrote this book to share my knowledge and insights with you, and I hope it will serve as a valuable resource as you navigate the challenges ahead.
Chapter 1. Dealing with Uncertainty The global economic climate is uncertain and rapidly changing, leaving many people feeling anxious and uncertain about the future. With a global pandemic, widespread unemployment, and financial instability, it's no wonder people are experiencing heightened levels of fear. However, understanding and addressing these fears can be a powerful tool for managing stress and making positive changes in our lives. I'd like to step aside for just a second and say, I don't want you to think of terms of gloom and doom. What I want you to realize is that the pandemic has left some people with some anxiety, and there is this uncertainty. And so some fears have surfaced, and I'm going to be discussing some of those. However, I want you to know that I am all together optimistic and pragmatic about what we can all do to focus on things we can control. So please understand, as I go through these fears, I'm also giving some examples of things that we can do to quell those fears. Here we go. Fear of unemployment. One of the biggest fears in the current economy is job loss and unemployment. You know, the best way to quell this fear is to prepare and plan ahead. Sharpen your skills, network, enhance your resume, explore alternative or adjacent career paths. All of these can help you feel more in control of the future and less vulnerable for unemployment. Another fear, fear of insecurity. Financial insecurity is another major fear in today's economy. To combat this, it's important to prioritize budgeting and savings, setting up an emergency fund, reducing debt, and investing in long-term financial security can help you feel more in control of your finances. Another fear, fear of the unknown. You know, the future is always uncertain, but in times of economic turmoil, the unknown can be especially frightening. To address this fear, try to focus on what you can control and make a plan. To help you feel more secure in uncertain times, you must research and understand the current economic situation. Seek out credible sources of information and optimize a plan for managing your finances. Fear of scarcity. Scarcity thinking, or the belief that resources are limited, is a common fear in times of economic turmoil. To combat this fear, focus on abundance thinking, practicing gratitude, focusing on the good things in your life, and embracing a mindset of abundance can help you feel more secure and positive about the future. Fear of isolation. Economic turmoil can also lead to feelings of isolation and loneliness. To address this fear, it's important to focus on building and maintaining meaningful relationships. Reaching out to friends and family, volunteering, participating in social activities can help you feel more connected and supportive. Fear of inadequacy. Feeling like you're not doing enough and that you're not equipped to handle the challenges of the current economy is another common fear. To quell this fear, focus on your strengths and skills. Identify your unique talents and skills and seek out opportunities to use and develop them. This will help you feel more confident and capable. In addition to these strategies, it's also important to prioritize self-care and take care of your mental health. This can include exercise, healthy eating, getting enough sleep, seeking out professional help if needed. The current economic climate may be uncertain and unpredictable, but by understanding and addressing our fears, we can find the courage and resilience to navigate these challenges and build a more secure and positive future. By focusing on what we can control 
and embracing a mindset of abundance, at the very least pragmatism, we can transform fear into hope and opportunity. Chapter 2. Mindset Mindfulness Definition Mindfulness is the practice of bringing your attention to the present moment without judgment. It is about being fully engaged in what you are doing and fully aware of your surroundings and thoughts. Benefits. For starters, mindfulness can help reduce stress and anxiety. When we are present in the moment, we are not dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. This can help us feel more relaxed and at ease. Mindfulness can also improve mental clarity and focus. By paying attention to the present moment, we're able to block out distractions and better concentrate on the task at hand. This can lead to improved productivity and decision-making. In addition, mindfulness can improve physical health. It has been shown to lower blood pressure, reduce chronic pain, and even boost the immune system. Mindfulness can also improve our relationships. When we are fully present with others, we are able to listen more attentively and be more understanding and compassionate. Mindfulness has gained popularity in recent years as a way to improve our mental and physical health, and it is often recommended by therapists, doctors, and other health professionals. Here are just a few of the ways that mindfulness can be beneficial, as well as some tips for incorporating mindfulness into your daily life. Number one, stress reduction. One of the main reasons people turn to mindfulness is to reduce stress. By focusing on the present moment, we are able to let go of worries about the past or future and feel more relaxed. Number two, improved physical health. As I mentioned, it has a number of physical benefits, including reducing your blood pressure, improving your sleep, and of course, that leads to boosting the immune system. Number three, greater focus and concentration. As we mentioned, it helps increase our ability to concentrate and pay attention. It can be beneficial in personal and professional settings. Number four, increased self-awareness. Those of you familiar with emotional intelligence. By paying attention to our thoughts and feelings in the present moment, we can gain greater insight into ourselves and our patterns of behavior. And number five, as we mentioned, improved relationships, we mean that it can help us to communicate more effectively, be more present and engaged in our interactions with others. Have I mentioned being more present? <laughs> you keep hearing the words more present. This is a big deal. If I could give you two words to really keep in mind when you're practicing mindfulness, here they are. Be there. So how can you start incorporating mindfulness into your daily life? Here are a few suggestions. One, practice mindfulness meditation. This can be as simple as finding a quiet place to sit and focusing your breath for a few minutes, just really being there. There are also many guided mindfulness meditation apps and videos available. I will mention some of those apps a little later. Number two, pay attention to your senses. Take a few minutes to focus on what is around you. Are you hearing something? Or is there a scent, a, a, a smell or something that is there? Is there something that you're tasting when you can be mindful during that? And maybe is there a touch, a feel of something? that is in the present moment, literally taking it all in. Number three, engage in activities mindfully. 
whether you're cooking, reading, doing yoga, let me add driving to the list, try to bring your full attention to the activity at hand. Number four, take a walk or have someone take you for a walk. Pay attention to your surroundings on that walk or just being outside and try to stay present with each step. Number five, take mindful breaks. Set aside a few minutes throughout the day to practice mindfulness, whether it's through meditation or simply paying attention to your breath. I'll give you more examples on that in a few minutes. Number six, practice gratitude. Take a few moments each day to reflect on what you're grateful for. Quick recap. By incorporating mindfulness into your daily routine, you can improve your mental and physical well-being and experience greater peace and happiness in your life. All right, here we go. Top apps. The top five apps or applications, if you will, for helping people bring mindfulness into their everyday lives. There are many apps available. Here are a few. I've listed five here. Number one, Headspace. This is a meditation and mindfulness app that offers guided meditation and mindfulness exercises. It also includes sleep content, movement and exercise videos, and a daily headspace feature, which provides a new mindfulness exercise every day. The second app I have here is called Calm, C-A-L-M. This is another meditation and mindfulness app that offers guided meditations, sleep stories, and breathing exercises. It also has a daily calm feature, which provides a new 10-minute meditation each day. The third app is called 10% Happier. This app is based on the book 10% Happier by Dan Harris. It offers guided meditations, lectures, and exercises to help users cultivate mindfulness and reduce stress. The fourth app, Aura, spelled A-U-R-A. This app offers daily mindfulness meditation exercises, along with a feature that allows you to set personalized mindfulness goals. It also includes a Mindful Moments feature, which provides reminders to practice mindfulness throughout the day. The fifth app that I have for you is called Insight Timer. That's spelled I-N-S-I-G-H-T and the word timer. This app offers a wide range of mindfulness and meditation content, including guided meditations, talks, and music. It also has a social aspect, allowing users to connect with other meditators and track their progress. Mind your resources. Where to continue your mindfulness learning? A suggestion I have here is that there are many blog sites and websites that offer mindfulness tips and resources. I have listed here three popular options. Mindful.org. This website is the online home of Mindful Magazine, and it offers a wide range of mindfulness-related content, including articles, meditations, and videos. It also has a selection dedicated to mindfulness practices and exercises. Another thing you could uh, check into is Psychology Today. Many of you have heard of that. This website offers a range of articles and resources on mindfulness and other mental health topics. It has a dedicated section on mindfulness with articles on various mindfulness-related topics, such as stress reduction, 
relationships, and work, to name a few. Another great resource is called Greater Good Magazine. This is an online magazine of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, and it offers a range of articles and resources on mindfulness and other topics related to well-being and happiness. It has a section on mindfulness that includes articles, meditations, and videos. Here's a question here I'm often asked. What are the health hazard statistics on people who don't practice mindfulness? What is their incidence of anxiety, depression, disconnection, and lost productivity? The answer here is there is evidence to suggest that people who do not practice mindfulness may be at a greater risk for certain health problems. For example, research has shown that mindfulness practices can help reduce stress and anxiety. People who do not practice mindfulness may therefore be more likely to experience these health issues. Similarly, mindfulness practices have been shown to help improve mood and reduce the risk of depression. Therefore, people who do not practice mindfulness may be more likely to experience depression. There is also evidence to suggest that mindfulness practices can help improve social connections and relationships. People who do not practice mindfulness may therefore be more likely to feel disconnected from others and perhaps even experience social isolation. But finally, mindfulness practices have been shown to improve focus and productivity. People who do not practice mindfulness may therefore be more likely to experience a decrease in productivity. It is worth noting that these are general trends. Individual experiences may vary. Here's another question. Today, people are more distracted than ever before. What are some ways we can connect better with each other at home and work? Well, there are many ways that people can connect with each other at home and at work. Despite the distractions of modern life, here are a few ideas. Number one, set aside dedicated time for social connections. Make time for activities that allow you to connect with others, such as having meals together, going for walks, or engaging hobbies or activities that you enjoy. Number two, practice active listening. When you are with others, make an effort to really listen to what they are saying and show that you are interested. This can help build stronger connections. Number three, put away distractions. When you're with others, try to minimize distractions such as phones and screens. This can help you be more present and attentive to the people you are with. See, there's that present again. Number four, communicate openly and honestly, building strong connections often involves being open and honest with others about your thoughts, feelings, your needs. Make an effort to communicate authentically and transparently with those around you. Number five, oops, here it comes again, be present. Make an effort to be fully present in the moment when you are with others. This can involve setting aside distractions or fully engaging with the person or people you are with. Active listening really comes into play here. By following these tips, you can help build stronger connections with others at home and at work. Many people are ruled by endless to-do lists. Here's a question I get a lot. If we want to simplify and streamline our lives, what are some key items we need to work on canceling or deleting from our lives? I like to say it this way. Sometimes you need to fall in love with the delete key. Here are a few ideas for things that you can cancel or delete in order to simplify and streamline. Number one, 
unnecessary commitments. Take a look at your schedule and see if there's any commitments you can eliminate. This might include activities you no longer enjoy or ones that are taking up too much of your time. Some time-wasting activities. Consider what activities or habits do take up a lot of your time but don't provide much value. These might include things like excessive social media use, that endless scrolling that some of us do, engaging in activities that don't align with your goals or values. Number two, decluttering. Decluttering your physical space can help reduce stress and make it easier to focus on what's important. Consider getting rid of items you no longer need or use and streamlining your possessions to only include what is essential. Number three, negative influences. Surround yourself with people who are negative or draining. That can really be unproductive for you. Consider limiting your interactions with people who bring you down. And instead, seek out relationships that are positive and uplifting. Try to avoid the Debbie Downers. And number four, perfectionism. Striving for perfection can be a time-consuming and ultimately fruitless pursuit. Instead, try to focus on doing your best and letting go of the need to be perfect. By working on canceling or minimizing these types of items in your life, you can help simplify and streamline your daily routine and make more room for things that are truly important to you. Here's some leaders' notes. Share your superpower. Here's a question I often get from leaders. How can I lead my employees to practice more mindfulness? Mindfulness can be a valuable tool for employees as well as it can help them manage stress, improve focus, increase overall well-being. Here are a few ways you can encourage your employees to practice mindfulness. I'm going to give you five quick tips here. Number one, lead by example. Demonstrate the benefits of mindfulness by incorporating it into your own routine, sharing your experiences with your employees. Number two, offer training and resources. Provide workshops, classes, online resources that teach mindfulness techniques. Encourage your team members to take advantage of these opportunities. Number three, encourage regular breaks. Encourage employees to take regular breaks throughout the day to practice mindfulness techniques, such as deep breathing or meditation. Number four, create a supportive environment. Create a work environment that supports mindfulness by promoting a healthy work-life balance and reducing stress levels. Encourage employees to prioritize self-care and provide resources such as counseling services or meditation rooms. And finally, number five, Integrate mindfulness into the workplace culture. Encourage employees to regularly practice mindfulness throughout the day, the workday, such as taking a few deep breaths before a meeting or a meditation break during the day. Remember, mindfulness is a personal practice, and it may take time for employees to fully embrace it. However, by promoting a supportive and encouraging work environment, you can help create a culture that values mindfulness and its benefits. Here's another question. What causes workplace anxiety and how can we prevent it? Workplace anxiety can be caused by some of the following factors. Number one, job insecurity, which we had mentioned earlier. Sometimes uh, people feel like they may not be able to meet performance expectations or maybe they feel uh, that way and it's, it may be perceived. Either way, it still can cause anxiety. Number two, a heavy workload. 
overwhelming responsibilities or the perception of, and tight deadlines can sometimes cause stress and anxiety. Number three, poor relationships with coworkers or supervisors. A negative or toxic workplace relationship can create an unpleasant work environment and contribute to anxiety for everyone. Number four, lack of control. Feeling like you have no control over the work or the workload can lead to anxiety without any clear solutions or betterment. Number five, unclear job expectations. When job responsibilities are not well-defined, employees may feel unsure about their role, leading to anxiety. So to prevent a lot of this anxiety, consider some of the following strategies. First of all, you can foster a positive workplace culture, encouraging positive relationships between team members, supervisors, creating that supportive work environment. The second thing you can do is to try to manage workloads effectively. Ensure that workloads are reasonable, prioritize tasks and reduce stress. Uh, let me also add here, it helps if you can be crystal clear about what priorities are. What is an A, what is a B, and what is a C, so that when I get my task list together, it's crystal clear to me which of those three items would need to go first in most circumstances. I have seen many people be extremely frustrated because they cannot rationalize which would go first, and sometimes they're afraid to ask. So let's make sure that everyone sees this is an A, this is a B, this is a C, and then we have some exceptions, which we want them to understand as well, all right? Number three, provide those clear job expectations, clearly defining the responsibilities and expectations. Also consider when we are clarifying those, let's clarify more by asking rather than telling, all right? I'll show you some examples in uh, a little bit later here. Number four, encourage work-life balance. Promote a healthy balance between work and personal time to reduce stress. Number five, encourage open communication. Create opportunities for employees to express their concerns and ideas and actively listen to their feedback. And the sixth thing you could try, of course, always offer support. Provide resources and support for employees who are experiencing anxiety, such as employee assistance program or counseling services. Remember, promoting a healthy work environment and addressing potential causes of anxiety can go a long way in preventing anxiety and creating a more positive and productive workplace. What's your story? How can an organization create a strategic narrative? Creating a strategic narrative is an important step in developing a clear and compelling vision for an organization. A strategic narrative is a story that communicates an organization's purpose, values, goals, and strategy in a way that resonates with stakeholders and inspires action. Here are some steps you could take to create a strategic narrative. First, you define the purpose and values of your organization. The first step is to clearly define the purpose and values. This involves understanding your mission, your vision, core values, and articulating them in a clear and concise manner. Here's a leader's note from me. I've seen thousands of mission and vision statements, as maybe some of you have. I've asked many workshop participants to cover up their laminated name tags and tell me their mission statement, which is printed on the back. In other words, they wear this ID every day, and they still, sadly, cannot tell me what it says. And the ones that can don't really internalize what the message means to their overall 
daily tasks. More later on, personal branding and what I call three little words, uh, referencing Stephen Covey's eight habit of highly effective people. Wildly important goals, WIGS, W-I-G-S, remember that, put a pin in that. So first you identify stakeholders. You want to know who will be impacted by your strategies of your organization. This includes employees, team members, customers, partners, patients, investors, anyone of those can be a stakeholder. Next, develop a clear and compelling story. Once the purpose, values, and stakeholders have been identified, you can develop a clear and compelling story that communicates a strategy in a way that resonates with them. This involves crafting a narrative that highlights the organization's strengths, its unique value proposition, and its vision for the future. And then you want to use storytelling techniques. If you don't think you're a good storyteller, well, then you need to brush up on that skill to make a strategic narrative more engaging and memorable. You need to use storytelling, such as metaphors, anecdotes, and examples. This can help to make it more relatable and easier to understand. Next, you want to communicate the narrative. Communicate the narrative. Once your narrative has been developed, it is important to communicate it to stakeholders through various channels, such as presentations, meetings, marketing materials, and so on. This can help create a shared understanding of the organization's vision and strategy and inspire your stakeholders to take action to support it. Overall, creating a strategic narrative requires a deep understanding of the purpose of your organization, the values, your stakeholders, as well as the ability to craft a clear and compelling story that resonates with them all. Question, is there an easy formula for defining the purpose and value of an organization? Well, it's a complex process that requires careful consideration and input from um, all your various stakeholders. While there's no one-size-fits-all formula for defining an organization's purpose and values, there are some key steps that can help to guide the process. You could conduct a mission and vision statement exercise, a brief statement that describes your purpose and why it exists. The vision statement, as you all know, is longer term. Conducting the exercise to develop or refine these statements can help clarify the purpose and values of the organization. One thing I do is to stress your personal branding, and I ask a room full of people from one organization to try to come up with three words, three words that would describe what do we do here, you know, to train, protect, and serve, or do we educate and inspire and delight, or what are those three words? But I ask the room to do them first independently. And then I ask them to compare. I have never, ever, and we're talking 100 to 150 presentations a year for the last 25 years, never had a room where everyone in the room at the same organization had the same three words. You need to think about that. Could I have distinctively different words in my uh, di division versus another department? Sure. But overall, your organization, you've got to have the resonation of all of those. I think I just made that word up, but we'll just keep going. <laughs> um, 
you got to identify the core values, your fundamental beliefs and principles that guide you. Identify and articulate these to help define the purpose and provide a framework for decision-making. We also need to make sure we're analyzing our unique strengths and weaknesses. This can provide insight into what it does well and where it needs to improve. This can be used to help define your purpose and values by identifying areas of focus and highlighting your unique strengths. You also want to always continue to check the pulse and solicit that input from your stockholders. That could be your team players, your employees, your customers, patients, partners. Anyone can provide you with valuable insights on what we do here and where we can improve. Soliciting feedback can help to ensure the purpose and values are aligned with the needs and expectations of your key stakeholders. It does make sense. Easier said than done. Have to be diligent about this. Well, there's no easy formula for defining the purpose and values of your organization. Following these key steps can help to guide the process and ensure that your purpose and values are well-defined and aligned with the needs and expectations of stakeholders. Question. What are some questions we can ask to define our stakeholders? Well, let me give you some great ideas here. This is on page 27. First, who are our customers? Who do we serve? Whom do we serve is really the better way to say that. Groups or individuals, organizations, who do we serve with our products and services? Next, who are our partners and suppliers, which would include individuals, organizations, groups, anyone with whom we collaborate? Who are employees and contractors? This could be current potential, be people on the inside or the outside, maybe people who are um, or working on a contract basis, and people that are here more permanently. How about our shareholders and investors? Have we identified exactly who those are? Who are the regulators or government agencies? Individuals and groups that will always regulate and oversee our activities. Who are our competitors? If we believe there are competitors in that, in that area, people who do things that are similar to us, and who are communities and other stakeholders. This would include individuals and groups who are impacted by our activities, such as local communities, advocacy groups, and organizations. By asking these questions, we can gain a better understanding of who our stakeholders are, how they're impacted, and how we can develop a strategic narrative that addresses the needs of all in the best way possible. Question, what are defining questions when trying to determine the kind of workplace culture we want to have. Defining that workplace culture is an important step in creating your positive and productive work environment. Try some of these questions on and see if you already have some answers. Otherwise, it would be a good idea to try to come up with some answers here. Our core values, what are they? Identifying them, extremely important to help identify our workplace culture. For example, if we value teamwork and collaboration, we may want to foster that culture of inclusivity and open communication. How about what are our goals and objectives? Well, every group has goals and objectives. Can we make sure that we can help those define who we are and our culture? For example, if our goal is to be innovative and forward-thinking, have we fostered the culture of creativity and risk-taking. 
Another question, what behaviors do we want to encourage? Defining those behaviors that we'd like to encourage can help to shape the kind of workplace and culture that we want to have. For example, if we want to encourage teamwork, we need to foster a culture of collaboration and shared responsibility. Make sure that that is at the forefront. What kind of leadership do we want to promote? A significant impact on our workplace culture can be found here. For example, if we want to promote a culture of empowerment and autonomy, it may want to uh, foster a culture of servant leadership. Question, how do we want employees to feel about their work? Understanding how employees should feel about their work can help define the kind of workplace culture that you would like to have. For example, if you want employees to feel engaged and motivated, fostering a culture of recognition and rewards, I would ask you to think, are we rewarding teams or individuals, and how are we doing that? By answering these questions, you can help define and develop a clear understanding of the kind of culture that you want and take steps to create a positive, productive workforce and environment. Question. What are some examples of cool cultural workplace guidelines? There are many examples of cool cultural workplace guidelines. Here are some examples. One is flexible work hours. And we found this to be a big deal during pandemic, uh, when people would go to work. You know, one of the things I always say is, great work done well with others every day. It was a beautiful quote brought to us by the founder of the engagement, Employee Engagement Network, David Singer. And he said this because we want to make sure that we do great work with others every day. He didn't say where. So flexible work hours are important. However, it does cause us to focus on the result of the work, not necessarily the hours put in. However, I do know there will be some discussion and some interest, um, especially for people who are uh, being paid hourly. We also want to make sure that there is what we call good work-life balance, and we want to help give employees control over their schedules to a, a large degree. Casual dress code. Adopting a casual dress code can help create a more relaxed and comfortable environment, which can improve our morale and productivity. Witness the yoga pants era that came through pandemic. Um, I, for one, and can say I was very happy with that. Um, other things that will work uh, in this respect to get a cool culture would be work from home options. Allowing people to work from home can give more flexibility and control, which can lead to increased productivity and job satisfaction. Please note here, there will be some jobs that are naturally front-facing, where we really need to be present. There will be some jobs that will lend themselves to remote. It's very important that you have an understanding with all of the people that are working with you on where these critical differences will apply. Another thing you could do is team building activities, such as group outings, team building exercises, things that are not work oriented, but we're done with people we work with to foster that sense of community and collaboration and trust among employees. Employee recognition programs also will help out. Implementing these, such as awards or bonuses, can help motivate our team members and encourage them to perform at their best. Also, opportunities for learning and development. Training, mentorship, 
um, developing new skills, improving their performance, sending them to um, seminars and workshops, and then coming back and sharing what they've learned with us or practicing it all. Another thing here we have is open communication, creating that culture where employees feel comfortable to share ideas and opinions. It can help foster a more collaborative and innovative work environment. These are just a few examples. And by adopting these types of guidelines, you can help attract and retain top talent. You can improve your employee morale and productivity and achieve your business objectives. Here are five specific companies and examples of how they embrace and nurture an amazing work culture. Google. Google is known for its employee-friendly policies, including free meals and snacks, on-site wellness facilities, and generous parental leave policies. They also encourage innovation and creativity on its what's called a 20% time program, which allows employees to spend 20% of their time on projects of their choosing. Another example, Patagonia. Patagonia is committed to sustainability and social responsibility. Um, they encourage its employees to share these values. They offer flexible work arrangements, on-site childcare, and let my people go surfing policies that allow employees to take time off to enjoy outdoor activities. Of course, you don't have to surf, but the idea is we want to get people out and about or at least doing things they love. Zappos, you've heard of, is the shoe company. Still for focus on customer service and employee satisfaction. The company offers a fun and relaxed work environment, including games and activities, and encourages employees to be themselves. Zappos also has a unique approach to hiring, where candidates are evaluated not only on their skills, but on their cultural fit. Salesforce. Salesforce is committed to diversity and inclusion. and offers a variety of programs and initiatives to support these values. The company also offers flexible work arrangements and encourages employees to volunteer in their communities. Salesforce is also known for its emphasis on employee development with regular training and development opportunities available. And finally, Airbnb, another example, promotes a culture of collaboration and openness, and it encourages employees to share their ideas and opinions. The company also offers unique benefits such as a $2,000 travel credit each year, and a hosted dinner program that allows team members to meet and dine with colleagues from other departments. These are just a few examples of many things organizations can do and have done to embrace and nurture an amazing work culture. By prioritizing employee satisfaction, fostering innovation and creativity, and promoting diversity and inclusion, these organizations have created a work environment that attracts top talent and encourages high performance. Here are some examples of wellness organizations that embrace an amazing work culture. Headspace. Headspace is a wellness company that provides meditation and mindfulness services. The company offers its employees a range of wellness benefits, including free meditation sessions, healthy snacks and meals, and flexible work arrangements. And finally, WellTalk, that's spelled W-E-L-L-T-O-K. It's a wellness company that provides health and wellness solutions to team members and health plans. They promote a culture of wellness by offering team members a range of wellness benefits, including on-site facilities and fitness, 
healthy food options, a wellness program that includes health coaching, nutrition counseling, and stress management services. Quick recap. Quick recap. You don't have to be a wellness organization to promote these recharging benefits. Our values are reflected in how we invest our time and resources. By prioritizing employee wellness and providing a range of wellness benefits, these organizations have created a work environment that promotes health, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Question, what are five of the biggest challenges facing companies in finding and retaining skilled workforce post-pandemic? One item here is remote work. With the rise of remote work due to the pandemic, companies are now competing with each other on a global scale for talent. This has made it more challenging to attract and retain skilled workers who have more options to choose from. Another thing we're having happen is employee burnout. The pandemic has caused high levels of stress and burnout among employees. Many workers are now looking for companies that offer a better work-life balance and prioritize employee well-being. The skills gap. As the job market continues to evolve, companies are finding it more difficult to fill roles with candidates who have the right skills and experience. This skills gap has made it challenging to find and retain skilled workers. Another item here is changing expectations. The pandemic has changed employee expectations about what they want from their jobs. Many workers are now looking for companies that offer more flexibility, remote work options, and a stronger sense of purpose and mission. Another issue here, talent retention. I'm hearing this a lot. As the job market becomes more competitive, companies are finding it more challenging to retain their top talent. Employees who are unhappy with their work environment or who feel undervalued may be more likely to leave for a new opportunity. These challenges require companies to adapt their strategies to attract and retain skilled workers in the post-pandemic job market. Companies that prioritize employee well-being, offer flexible work arrangements, invest in training and development, and create a strong sense of purpose and mission are more likely to succeed in attracting and retaining skilled workers. Question, what are 10 questions leaders can ask as a benchmark for creating and fine-tuning a positive, productive, collaborative work culture? First question here, I'm giving you a top 10. What are our core values as an organization, and how do we ensure that they are reflected in our work culture? Number two, how do we promote open communication and collaboration among our employees? And what processes or tools do we use to support these efforts? Number three, how do we recognize and celebrate? employee achievements and contributions, and how do we ensure that employees feel valued and appreciated? Number four, how do we promote diversity, equality, and inclusion in our work culture? And what steps are we taking to ensure that our employees feel respected and supported? Number five, how do we encourage employee growth and development? 
And what training or development opportunities do we provide to help our employees reach their full potential? Number six, how do we ensure that our employees feel engaged and motivated? And what initiatives do we have in place to promote employee well-being and job satisfaction? Number seven, how do we foster a culture of trust and transparency? And what steps are we taking to ensure that our employees feel comfortable raising concerns or giving feedback? Number eight, how do we promote work-life balance and flexibility? And what policies or practices do we have in place to support these efforts? Number nine, how do we ensure that our work culture aligns with our overall business strategy and goals? And what metrics do we use to measure our progress? And finally, number 10, how do we continuously improve and fine-tune our work culture and what feedback loops do we have in place to gather input and insights from our employees? You see, those are tough questions, and many of you have lots of answers there. If any of those questions are not easily answered by you, I would highly recommend that you take some time, get your SWAT team together, and find out. By regularly asking these types of questions and using those answers to inform your decisions and actions, leaders can create and maintain a work culture that is positive, productive, and collaborative. Most of you are familiar with the Gallup 12 Employee Engagement Survey. It's a widely used tool for measuring employee engagement. It's developed by the Gallup uh, Group, a well-known research-based consulting company. Originally, the survey consisted of 12 questions that are designed to assess employee engagement levels and provide insights into factors that contribute to engagement and job satisfaction. Let me read to you the 12 questions on the original survey. Number one, do you know what is expected of you at work? Number two, do you have the materials and equipment you need to do your work right? Number three, at work, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? Number four, in the last seven days, have you received recognition or praise for doing good work? Number five, does your supervisor or someone at work seem to care about you as a person? Number six, is there someone at work who encourages your development? Number seven, at work, do your opinions seem to count? Number eight, does the mission and purpose of your company make you feel your job is important? Number nine, are your associates, fellow employees, committed to doing quality work? Number 10, do you have a best friend at work? Number 11, in the last six months, has someone at work talked to you about your progress? And number 12, in the last year, have you had opportunities at work to learn and grow? By using this survey, companies can gain valuable insights into their employees' engagement levels. They can identify areas of strength, areas for improvement, and take action to create a more engaged and motivated workforce. 
Today, organizations are modernizing and customizing the survey to fit respective cultures. This can be a powerful diagnostic tool to measure real employee satisfaction and engagement. Here are some updated survey questions that organizations can consider to help measure employee engagements among Generation X, Y, and Z, perhaps. Number one, do you feel that you have the flexibility to manage your work and personal life effectively? Number two, does your organization provide opportunities for you to learn and grow in your career? Number three, do you feel that your work is meaningful and aligned with your values and beliefs? Number four, does your organization value diversity and inclusion, and do you feel respected and included at work? Number five, do you feel that your contributions are recognized and appreciated by your colleagues and leaders? Number six, does your organization provide you with the tools and resources necessary to do your job effectively? Number seven, do you feel that you have the autonomy to make decisions and take ownership of your work? Number eight, does your organization provide opportunities for you to collaborate and work with colleagues from different departments or teams? Number nine, do you feel that your organization communicates transparently and openly with employees? And number 10, does your organization provide opportunities for you to give feedback and have a say in decisions that affect your work? Now, these questions consider the preferences and values of individual team members and can help organizations understand how to create a more engaging and satisfying work environment for all employees. It is important to note that these questions are just a starting point. Organizations should tailor their surveys to their very specific workforce and culture. I have here for you a cool tools bonus pack. So you may want to make a note here. I'm going to give you a URL, which is https colon forward slash forward slash bit.ly, or that is B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash, the number three, M-R-X, capital Q, L-V. I'll do that one more time. H-T-T-P-S, colon, forward slash, forward slash, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash, three, M-R-X, capital Q, L, V. If you will type that in or speak that in, I'll give you the opportunity to download what I call a bonus pack, which will have all kinds of wonderful things available for you for reinforcement of what we're talking about here. Regarding productive behaviors, we want to encourage Question, what is a good starter list that we could present to our team members? A key strategy to create an engaging work culture must involve team guidelines. We must allow our teams to create a credo or a protocol on how we respectfully interact every day. Teams need to identify cultural norms and parameters for each of these areas. Our team sets the rules, boundaries, and consequences to reinforce our culture. This is not a time for management to set forth an edict or rules list from the top. Of course, leadership will have a final say on the propriety of the guidelines to ensure legality and fairness, 
when a team sets its own cultural rules, it will be more committed to follow the course. Example, part of the guidelines would include time management, encouraging team members to manage their time effectively, prioritizing their tasks, can help them become more productive and achieve their goals. Perhaps they can work with each other on projects, talking about best strategies, and so on. Goal setting must be part of our guidance for the team. Setting clear and specific goals can help us focus our efforts and achieve better results. Participation. How will we gauge our participation on projects and meetings, even in everyday tasks? Think of the three little bears. Not too much, not too little, but just right participation, right? Let the team designate what it looks like and how will we remind each other to stay on track. Another element that is necessary for team guidelines is collaboration. We have to define it. Encourage team members to work collaboratively and share ideas that can help increase productivity and foster a sense of teamwork. Also, another area is continuous learning. Encourage team members to engage in continuous learning and development. It can help them stay current with industry trends and best practices to share. Innovation is another area. Encouraging team members to think creatively, to always come up with new ideas, to help drive innovation and improve productivity. Remember, we need to be reminded and helped to stay focused. Here's another area that we really need to work on with our teams, empathy and respect. We need to treat every team member respectfully, using tact in our interactions to elevate workplace civility and create a positive, productive culture. Proactivity is important. Encourage team members to take initiative to be proactive in their work to help improve productivity and efficiency. Communication. Encourage team members to communicate openly and effectively to avoid misunderstandings and improve productivity. Accountability. Encourage team members to take ownership of the work, be accountable for their actions, help improving their productivity and building trust. Work-life balance. Encourage team members to maintain a healthy work-life balance to help prevent burnout and improve productivity. And then finally, self-care. Encourage team members to practice self-care, prioritize their physical and mental health to improve that productivity and overall wellness. This is just a starting list. Organizations can tailor this list to their specific needs and goals. Combating counterproductive workplace behavior is critical to creating a positive and productive work environment. Question, what are some ways we can combat counterproductive workplace behaviors like bullying, rudeness, lack of empathy and sarcasm. Well, here's a few suggestions for you to make sure that you steer clear of these workplace harassment type activities. Number one, we need to develop clear expectations. Let your team help us establish clear expectations and policies for workplace behavior. Make sure that we communicate them to all employees. Make sure everyone understands what is expected in terms of behavior and professionalism. Next, we provide training, topics such as effective communication, conflict resolution, empathy, emotional intelligence. This can always help employees understand how to interact with each other in a positive and productive way. 
we need to also foster a positive culture, which encourages respect, collaboration, and empathy. Make sure that everyone understands through examples where these values lie and how important they are and expected in the workplace. We also need to make sure to hold people accountable for behavior, make sure we take appropriate action if counterproductive behavior happens, make sure everyone understands that there are consequences for not following workplace policies and expectations. We also want to lead by example. We need to model positive workplace behaviors. We want to set the tone for the rest of the group. We want to encourage all of our leaders to demonstrate empathy, respect, and professionalism in all of interactions with employees. We also want to encourage feedback on workplace culture and behavior and identify areas where improvements can be made, address issues before they become significant. And finally, in this area, we want to provide resources. Make sure employees have access to resources, such as employee assistance programs, which we call EAPs. They can provide support and guidance for dealing with workplace issues. By taking these steps, you can create a more positive and respectful workplace culture that encourages productivity and collaboration and discourages counterproductive behaviors. Chapter 3, Heart Set. Definition, Heart Set. Heart Set is a term that refers to a person's emotional and psychological state, as well as their ability to connect with others on an emotional level. It is often associated with the Greek concept of pathos, which refers to an emotional appeal that is used to persuade or influence others. In the context of personal and professional development, heart set is an important element to consider along with mindset, soul set, and skill set. It can help individuals better understand their own emotions, connect with others on a deeper level, and build stronger relationships both in their personal and professional lives. Developing a strong heart set requires a combination of self-awareness, empathy, and emotional intelligence, which we call EI. This means being able to identify and regulate your own emotions while also being able to recognize and respond to the emotions of others. By cultivating a strong heart set, individuals can become more effective communicators, better collaborators, and more compassionate leaders. Question. What are the dangers of low emotional intelligence in my organization? Well, low EI, or in some cases we call it EQ, your emotional quotient, can have several negative consequences. Here are some of those dangers. One, we could have uh, difficulty with relationships. People with a low EQ often struggle to understand and manage their own emotions, as well as recognize and respond to others. This can make it difficult for them to build and maintain strong relationships, personally or professionally. The second thing that could come from this is poor communication. People with low EQ may struggle to effectively communicate with their thoughts and feelings, and that could lead to misunderstandings and conflict. They also may struggle to recognize the nuances of communication, such as tone. Number three, inability to cope with stress. People with this low emotion quotient may struggle to manage stress and cope with difficult emotions, which can lead very quickly to burnout or other negative consequences for their mental and physical health. Number four, lack of self-awareness. A low emotional quotient can make it difficult for individuals to accurately assess their own strengths and weaknesses, 
as well as their impact on others. This can lead to overconfidence and underestimation of one's own abilities. The fifth issue we could have with low emotional intelligence, poor decision-making. People with low EQ may struggle to make decisions that take into account the emotional impact on others or themselves, leading to poor decision-making altogether and negative consequences. It's important to develop all of these emotional intelligence skills. Now, on the plus side, we all know that people with higher emotional intelligence among team members can experience benefits like stronger teamwork and collaboration, improved customer relations, increased innovation and creativity, higher employee satisfaction and retention, and better leadership. Quick recap. Organizations with high EQ or emotional quotients among its team members can lead to improved organizational success and long-term sustainability. Here's a quick reality check for you. How's your organization's EQ? Or as Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Chapter four, ways to ensure a higher EQ. Here we go is the recipe. Using emotional intelligence to strengthen your workplace culture. EQ, as we've discussed, is your emotion quotient, and emotional intelligence is referred to as EI. It's the ability to identify, understand, and manage emotions, your own, and understand the emotions of others. A leader's EI plays a crucial role in shaping workplace culture. When leaders understand and manage emotions well, they create a positive work environment that promotes employee well-being, satisfaction, and productivity. In this segment, we will outline a plan for leaders to use EI to strengthen their workplace culture. Step one, as we know, is self-awareness. The first step for leaders is to develop self-awareness. This involves recognizing and understanding their emotions, triggers, and biases. Self-aware leaders are better equipped to manage their emotions and avoid emotional outbursts that can negatively impact their workplace culture. They're also more attuned to their employees' emotional states and can respond appropriately. Leaders can develop self-awareness by practicing mindfulness, journaling, or seeking feedback from colleagues. Step two, empathy, the ability to understand and share feelings of others. Leaders who demonstrate empathy create a supportive and inclusive work environment. They are better able to connect with their employees and build trust. Empathetic leaders also recognize and address the needs and concerns of their team members. To develop empathy, leaders can actively listen, ask open-ended questions, and practice putting themselves in their employees' shoes. Step three, emotion regulation. Involves managing one's own emotions and responding appropriately to others. Leaders who regulate their emotions well create a calm and stable environment. They are better equipped to handle conflicts, manage stress, and make rational decisions. Leaders can develop emotion regulation skills by practicing self-reflection. That's quadrant two, by the way, for those of you who are versed in Dr. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. Identifying triggers and seeking support when needed. Step four, social skills are the ability to communicate, collaborate, and build relationships with others. Leaders who possess strong social skills create a positive and collaborative work environment. 
They are better able to motivate and inspire their team members and foster a sense of belonging. To develop social skills, leaders can actively listen, provide constructive feedback, and create opportunities for team-building activities. Step 5. Implementation Once leaders have developed their EI, they can implement strategies to strengthen workplace culture. This may include promoting a culture of feedback and open communications, providing opportunities for employee development and growth, creating a sense of belonging and inclusion, and fostering a positive work-life balance. Leaders should also model the behaviors they want to see in their team members, such as showing empathy, regulating emotions, and building relationships. Quick recap. EI is a critical skill for leaders who want to create a positive workplace culture by developing self-awareness, empathy, emotion, regulation, social skills. Leaders can create a supportive, inclusive work environment that promotes employee well-being, satisfaction, and productivity. By implementing strategies that promote a positive workplace culture, leaders can enhance their team's performance, foster a culture of growth and development. Now, while emotional intelligence can have a significant impact on workplace culture, it can be challenging to motivate your staff to understand its importance. Some of the common challenges that leaders may face include, number one, lack of awareness. Many may not be aware of what it is or how it can benefit them in the organization. They may not see the connection that their emotions might have on job performance, which can make it challenging for them to understand the importance. Number two, resistance to change. Employees may be resistant to change. This is a natural human quality, and it may, they may not be willing to invest time and effort in developing their EI skills. They may see it as an unnecessary burden or an additional task to their already busy schedules. Number three, skepticism. Some employees may be skeptical about the benefits of EI, questioning its relevance and effectiveness in the workplace. This can make it challenging, again, to motivate them to develop those skills. Number four, lack of support. Employees may not receive the necessary support and resources to develop their EI skills. Without it, they may find it challenging to implement new strategies and develop new habits that promote emotional intelligence. So how about some solutions to overcome these challenges to motivate your staff to understand the importance of EI? Leaders can take the following steps. Number one, as, as we have mentioned before, to provide education and training. Leaders can always offer the training, provided examples of how EI has positively impacted other workforces and can help them see the relevance and importance I like to call this reinforcement, catching them doing the right things right. Please try to maintain that kind of focus, especially when you've invested in training. You want to make sure that it is really a lasting impression for everyone. And it's they're, they're using it. They're not just knowing it. Number two, lead by example. Leaders should model the behaviors and skills they want their employees to develop. Number three, provide support and resources, um, including mentoring. Number four, provide a culture of learning. Foster that culture. We want to have continuous learning with a growth mindset where people are always finding new things out and sharing them. Quick recap. While it can be challenging to motivate your staff to understand the importance of emotional intelligence, you can take steps to overcome these challenges. 
reality check. Here are some real-life examples of team members using EI to help through challenging situations with coworkers or customers. Example number one, active listening and empathy. A team member notices that a coworker is upset about a mistake they made on a project. Instead of criticizing or blaming the coworker, the team member practices active listening and empathy. They ask open-ended questions and listen attentively to the coworker's perspective. By acknowledging the coworker's feelings and concerns, the team member helps to diffuse the situation and they find a solution together. Second example, emotion regulation. A team member is working with a customer or patient who is frustrated and angry about a service issue. Instead of becoming defensive or confrontational, the team member practices emotion regulation. They take a deep breath, remain calm, and speak in a respectful, professional manner. By regulating their own emotions, the team member also helps to de-escalate the situation and find a solution that satisfies the customer or patient. Here's a third example. Social skills and collaboration. A team member is working on a project with a coworker who has a different working style and communication preference. This happens a lot. Instead of ignoring the differences or insisting on their own way, the team member practices social skills and collaboration. They communicate openly and respectfully with the other coworker, seeking to understand their perspective, find a compromise that works for them both. By collaborating effectively, the team member helps to overcome the differences and they complete the project successfully together. In all of these examples, the team member demonstrates EI by recognizing and responding to the emotions of others, managing their own emotions, and building positive relationships through effective communication and collaboration. By using EI to navigate challenging situations, your team members can build trust, reduce conflicts, and create a more positive and productive work environment. Question. How can a leader best recognize and reinforce his teams to practice more emotional intelligence in their everyday challenges? Here we go. Recognizing and reinforcing, as I mentioned, number one, provide regular feedback. Positive feedback can always reinforce good behavior. Constructive feedback can help and identify areas for improvement. I like to think of it as gap closing. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The second thing you can do as a leader to encourage this is encourage reflection. Encourage team members to reflect on their interactions. Identify opportunities for improvement. This can be done with regular check-ins, team meetings, individual coaching sessions. The third thing you can do is celebrate successes. You should always celebrate successes. Recognize team members who demonstrate strong EI skills. This can be done through public recognition, awards, shout-outs, public praise and meetings and so on. The fourth thing you can do, provide training and development opportunities. This can be done through workshops, seminars, online trainings. The fifth thing you can do is lead by example. Boy, we've heard that a few times, haven't we? That is still one of the best ways to model that behavior. And number six, incorporate EI into performance evaluations. So we will set clear expectations and goals 
and it will help team members understand the importance of it. We also need to create a metric that is relevant and everyone understands. Quick recap. Recognizing and reinforcing EI in a team environment is essential to create a culture that values and promotes it by providing regular feedback, encouraging reflection, celebrating successes, providing training and development opportunities, leading by example, and incorporating EI into performance evaluations. Leaders can create a workplace environment that fosters EI skills and ultimately leads to more productive, positive work culture. If you have not yet enlisted an EQ assessment, I can certainly provide you with a sample. Part of that I have in the Cool Tools bonus pack. Let me repeat again for you that URL, https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash three mrxq that's a capital Q, L, V. Chapter 5, Soul Set. My Greek grandfather, Papu, had a wonderful saying. Calliope, there are only two ways to motivate people. To kind of know what makes them tick and ticks them off. True, huh? Well, Soul Set is a term used to describe the driving internal motivators that create a passion within individuals to get their jobs done, take ownership, be accountable, and embrace a personal brand of excellence. It refers to the unique set of values, beliefs, and attitudes that define a person's identity and guide his or her behavior. In other words, soul set represents the inner drive and motivation that propel individuals toward success. At its core, Soul set is about finding meaning and purpose in one's work. It's about aligning personal values with professional goals and committing to a higher standard of excellence. People with a strong soul set are passionate about what they do. They take pride in their work and their objectives. One of the key components of soul set is self-awareness. Individuals who understand their strengths, weaknesses, and motivators are better able to align their personal values with their work. They know what drives them, what challenges them, what inspires them to perform at their very best. This self-awareness helps them to identify opportunities for growth, set realistic goals, and develop a plan to achieve them. Another important component of soul set is accountability. People have a strong soul set when they take ownership of their work and are accountable for their results. They don't make excuses or blame others for their failures, Instead, they take responsibility for their actions and learn from their mistakes. This accountability drives them to continuously improve and strive for excellence in everything they do. Passion is also a critical component of soul set. People with a strong soul set are passionate about their work. They're driven by a sense of purpose. They believe that what they do matters and that they are making a positive impact in the world. This passion fuels their drive and motivates them to overcome obstacles and challenges along the way. And finally, Soul Set is about embracing a personal brand of excellence. People with a strong Soul Set strive to be the best they can in everything they do. They take pride in their work and are committed to delivering exceptional results. 
They are known for their integrity, professionalism, and commitment to excellence. Quick recap. Soul Set is a powerful force that drives individuals to achieve their professional goals and reach their full potential. It's about finding meaning and purpose in one's work, aligning personal values with professional goals, taking ownership, being accountable, embracing the passions, committing to a personal brand of excellence. Those who cultivate a strong soul set are more likely to achieve success and find fulfillment in their work while making a positive impact in the world. Leaders Notes How can leaders find out what team members' passions are? How can they find out what drives their people? I'm so glad you asked that question. As a leader, understanding what motivates and drives your team members is essential for building a high-performance team. Here are some ways you can find out what your team members' passions and driving forces are. Note, refer to team motivation chart in Chapter 5 for an easy strategy on this. One way you can do this is by asking open-ended questions. Start by asking questions that encourage team members to share their thoughts and ideas. Ask about their interests, hobbies, what they enjoy doing in their free time. This might give you an idea of what they're passionate about and what drives them outside of work. Also, you need to be observant. Is someone's office decorated with pictures or mementos or something of a hobby sort um, that really is important to them? They're going to surround themselves with these things around them in their office. Next, conduct one-on-one -on -one meetings. Schedule one-on-one -on -one meetings with team members. Discuss their goals, their aspirations, and their career paths. Ask them about what they enjoy doing most in their current role and what they'd like to do more of in the future. This can help you identify their strengths, interests, and what drives them to excel. Another thing you can do is observe their behavior. Pay attention to how team members behave in the workplace. What tasks do they enjoy doing? What projects do they put extra effort into? What type of work do they excel in? This can give you a real idea of what motivates them and what drives them to perform at their best. Another thing you could do is conduct team-building activities. You could encourage uh, team members to work together and share their interests and passions. This will help you identify common interests and areas of passion among team members. Use assessments and surveys also. Use personality assessments or engagement surveys to identify team members' strengths interests, and motivators. This can also give you a better understanding of what drives them and how you can help them succeed. It's essential to remember that every team member is unique. What motivates one may not motivate another. Therefore, it's essential to approach team members individually, understand their unique passions and driving forces to help them achieve their full potential. Now, by taking the time to understand your team members, you can build a more engaged, motivated, and high-performing team. Here is a list of the top 10 motivators for today's current workforce as of 2023. One is work-life balance. With the rise of remote work and flexible work schedules, employees place a very high value on achieving a healthy work-life balance. Employers who prioritize work-life balance by offering flexible schedules, time off, and other benefits will attract and retain top talent. Next, career development is a very important motivator. 
employees want to know that their employers care about their professional growth and development, thinking of mentoring and career advancement as powerful motivators. Meaningful work. Employees want to feel that their work has purpose and contributes to a larger goal. Employers who create that sense of mission and purpose can motivate people to work harder and more effectively. Another item here is recognition and rewards. Regular recognitions and rewards for a job well done can motivate to increase job satisfaction. This could be in the form of bonuses, promotion, public recognition, or other forms. When you look at my team motivation chart, you will see how important it is to customize that employee appreciation. In other words, ask people how they individually would consider a really great acknowledgement for a job well done. Everyone's different. Another thing would be inclusive workplace culture, helping people feel valued and respected, prioritizing diversity, equity, inclusion, can create a more motivated and energized workforce. Another thing is competitive compensation. We also know that collaborative work environment can help, as well as a positive workship relationship, autonomy and empowerment, and technology and innovation. Here are some statistics that provide insights into the current state of workplace employee engagement. According to Gallup's 2021 State of Global Workplace Report, only 20% of employees worldwide were engaged in their work. A 2021 study by Achievers found that 35% of employees reported feeling disengaged, while another 23% reported feeling actively disengaged. In a 2020 survey, Report by Tiny Pulse, only 26% of employees surveyed reported being very happy at work. A 2020 report by Qualtrics found 75% of employees believe that their employer could do more to improve employee experience and engagement. A 2020 survey, remember this is almost post-pandemic, but it would have been reflective of 2019. As you remember, pandemic kicked in. I think it was March 13th, as I remember. It was a Friday the 13th as I was traveling, coming home from San Francisco. I remember the airport was uh, like a ghost town because all the flights had been stopped. And that was 2019, I think, in that area there. So SHRM, S-H-R-M, which is Society for Human Resource Management, had a survey in 2020. And remember, that would be reflective of 2019 found that 44% of HR professionals reported that their employee engagement levels decreased over the previous 12 months. And I think it continued to go down after that as well. These stats suggest there's a significant problem with engagement in today's workforce. Employees need to remember to prioritize um, and employers need to prioritize engagement. It's a two-way street and uh, we need to, to learn that that is really important to increase engagement and retention. Um, the question is, are the levels decreasing? Well, yes, for the most part. Uh, that's why I've given you at least three different studies here. And for the most part, the latest global survey in 2021 found that only 20% of employees worldwide are engaged, 36% are not engaged, and 44% worldwide are actively disengaged. You know, one of the statistics that I have in my research keep coming across is that we might be losing about $450 billion a year because of disengaged people. 
I will also say that one economist put this calculation out there that if you have a disengaged workforce, you look at your payroll, and many of you know what that number is, you cut it in half and you watch half of it walk out the door um, because what's happening is, and we're talking about the loss in figures of loss, your payroll figure is a benchmark. Cut that in half. Are you willing to lose half of that? Wow, that's big. Suffice to say, disengagement exists and can vary from 23 to 44%, depending on the industry and the survey question. While it's difficult to say definitively whether it's going down across all industries, it's clear that many employers are facing challenges in keeping people engaged and motivated. Employers need to take steps to understand the needs and the motivations to create that positive workplace. Which industries have the poorest employee engagement currently? Well, there's several. However, it's important to know some of the really, really tough and hardest hit industries, as you might imagine after pandemic, the healthcare industry. While healthcare workers are often passionate about their work, the demanding and stressful nature of the job can lead to burnout and low engagement levels. A 2021 report by Advisory Board found that 15% of healthcare workers reported feeling disengaged or highly disengaged, perhaps hardest hit because of the pandemic. Another industry, retail. Retail industry, of course, is known for high turnover and low engagement levels. According to a 2020 survey by Quantum Workplace, retail had the lowest overall engagement score among industry surveyed. Another industry, manufacturing traditionally been associated with lower engagement levels due to its focus on repetitive tasks and a high degree of automation in many facilities. A 2020 survey by Gallup found that manufacturing had the second lowest engagement score among the industry surveyed. The hospitality industry is another one known for high levels of turnover and low engagement. According to the 2020 report by Quantum Workplace, it has the third lowest overall engagement score among all the industry surveyed. Another one, transportation and logistics. I know you are thinking there were so many altercations on airplanes and passengers not wanting to wear masks, wearing masks. That was a big one. Um, people just overall getting really, really frustrated and, and stressed and snarky, to be honest. Um, it was a tough time if you worked in the travel business. And the, tra the transportation and logistics industry also thinking of in terms of um, the, the the supply chain, you know, getting things to and fro, you know, those kinds of things as well. Very, very, very high, high disengagement. It's important to note that these levels can vary widely, you know, with different industries. Here are a few examples of organizations that have taken steps to re-energize and re-engage their employees. One of them is Microsoft. In 2021, Microsoft announced a new initiative called Employee Experience Platform, EEP, and it's designed to improve the employee experience, but also to boost engagement levels. This platform includes features such as personalized learning, development opportunities, community platform for employees to connect and share, and tools for management to provide feedback and recognition to teams. Another group, very, very popular, Ritz-Carlton Hotel Chain. You 
probably very familiar with them as a success story, is known for its exceptional customer service. They also provide employee engagement and empowerment. Um, they have a program called the Ritz-Carlton Experience, which provides training and resources to employees to help them deliver outstanding customer service. The program also includes regular feedback, recognition for employees, and a strong emphasis on empowerment. Here's another group, Salesforce is a technology company that has received widespread recognition for efforts to create a positive work environment and boost employee engagement. They offer a range of perks and benefits to employees, including generous paid time off, flexible work arrangements, and a focus on work-life balance. They also prioritize employee development and growth and with regular opportunities for training and career advancement. Um, additionally, they have a strong commitment to philanthropy and community service, which helps create that sense of purpose and meaning for the employees. Now, here are a few specific examples of healthcare organizations that have taken steps to engage their workforce and their members for associations. Uh, ANA, which is the American Nurses Association, they have implemented several initiatives to engage and support their members, such as offering online learning resources, networking opportunities, and hosting events to recognize outstanding nurses. They also advocate for policies and legislation that support nurses and improve patient care, which helps to create that sense of purpose and meaning for members. The AMA, American Medical Association, representing physicians in the U.S., they have a range of benefits, much like uh, these other organizations, but continuing medical education courses, career development, research and advocacy initiatives. They also have a platform for physicians to connect with one another and share information and ideas to create a sense of community and support among members. NAHQ, the National Association for Healthcare Quality, is a professional association representing healthcare quality professionals. They offer a range of resources, like many that we have just mentioned, including continuing education, certification programs, a job board. They also host an annual conference to bring together healthcare quality pros from around the world to share their best practices. Now, question, are some people just unable to be motivated for greatness? Well, it's, it's not accurate to say that some people are unable to be motivated, um, Motivation is a complex psychological construct. It can be influenced by many factors. It is important to recognize that motivation is not a fixed trait. Um, it, it, it can be influenced by a variety of factors, such as individuals' beliefs, values, interests, and environmental factors. There may be some individuals who are naturally more motivated than others due to personality traits, upbringing, life experience. However, it's also possible for individuals to learn and develop motivation over time through intentional effort and practice. This might involve setting specific goals or finding activities that align with personal interests and values. It may be important for them to seek out social support and feedback so we can help cultivate a growth mindset. It's also worth noting that not everyone's definition of greatness will be the same. You know, what motivates one person may not motivate another. It's important to recognize and respect these differences. You know, ultimately, individuals are more likely to be motivated and successful 
when they're able to align their goals and interests with their personal values and sense of purpose. Remember my great-grandfather's wisdom. You got to know what makes them tick and what... Here's a question. Why are some super happy people so hard to be around? Well, it's not accurate to generalize that all super happy people are difficult to be around. Some individuals who exhibit extremely positive and upbeat demeanor may be perceived as difficult to connect with or relate to for reasons like they can come across as inauthentic. People may be constantly happy and positive, may be perceived as faking it or being insincere. They can make it difficult. It can make it difficult to form a genuine connection sometimes with them. They may also be maybe not able to empathize with others. Individuals who are always happy may struggle to understand or empathize with others who are going through tough times. This can make it hard for others to feel heard or understood. They can also be exhausting to be around sometimes. Constantly exuding high levels of energy and positivity can be kind of draining for sometimes those people around us. This can be especially true for introverts or individuals who prefer a more low-key interaction. It is worth noting that these are generalizations. Not everyone who is perceived as super happy will exhibit these traits, but additionally, individuals who are consistently positive and upbeat may have their own unique challenges and struggles that may not be immediately apparent. It's important to approach each person with an open mind and recognize that everyone has his or her own unique experiences and perspectives. Leader's Note Be careful not to confuse motivation with enthusiasm. A team member can be highly motivated and be a shy, quiet person. As part of my board of directors and volunteer opportunities in my many years with the National Speakers Association, I've had the honor and pleasure of meeting several of my motivational idols. When I shared a board dinner with Dr. Kenneth Blanchard, I was able to ask him about some of the successful leadership principles he conveys. If you're not familiar with Dr. Blanchard's work, I highly recommend you check out one of his 60 business books. Perhaps you are familiar with The One Minute Manager. Dr. Blanchard is an American author, business consultant, and motivational speaker. His most successful book, The One-Minute Manager, has sold over 15 million copies and been translated into many languages. Dr. Blanchard is also the chief spiritual officer and is best known for these business success quotes. None of us is as smart as all of us. Help people reach their full potential. Catch them doing something right. The best minute you spend is the one you invest in people. Empowerment is all about letting go so that others can get going. In his book, Gung Ho, he reminds us about quiet enthusiasm. People exhibit this when they consistently show up for work early or on time, ready to meet the day. Help a team member figure out a solution to a problem. Double-check reports for accuracy. Keep track of projects and stay on deadline. Go above and beyond to finish a task. See, these are solid citizens in our workforce. They, they just get it done. They may not be animated or outgoing. They are quietly enthusiastic, getting it done. Don't forget to acknowledge their steadfast commitment to your organization's mission. Chapter 6. 
engagement reset strategies. Here's a quote by David Zinger, the founder of the Employee Engagement Network. Great work done well with others every day. Eight little words, big meaning. On this next page here, page 85, I have a, a diagram I'm going to describe here. It says, here's a cool tool to help you kickstart your engagement strategy. What I have here is called a team motivation chart. There's a, an instruction on the chart that says, list your team members' names and take the challenge to fill in as many key answers as you can and keep filling in your chart as you strive to discover more about each team member. And then I have a, a really cool little quote here up in the corner. It says, leadership is practiced not so much in words as in attitude and in actions. So let me describe the chart to you. It's, you know, it's, um, let's see, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine columns on the chart. Across the top of the chart, it says team motivation chart, more connection equals more correction. I think I would like to change that correction word to better interactions, you know, something like that. So we're, we're self-editing as we go. So you're the recipient of that special moment. So here's, here are the columns that go across the top of the page. Name, style, likes, frustrated, skills. And under the skills column, I have my view and team view. And then under my view, I have a plus and a minus. Under team view, I also have a plus and a minus. And then the final column is called custom appreciation. So let me go back to the front here and let you know what, what, what does this all mean? Well, the name is easy. You know, you could go down the whole name column and write down the names of all the people that are working with you. And here's what I would consider. Anyone with whom you communicate is part of your team to get your job done. And that could be inside people, outside people, um, anyone you, you communicate with that may be in or outside your organization, but you all have to work together and communicate to get your job done. So we would write as many names as we can. This is sort of your test for how well do you know all the people that you work with. And you write as many names as you can without looking first, you know, I mean, without checking, you know, checking your files and stuff. And then once you do that, and for the style column, think of if you've ever done a personality assessment or a skills assessment or something like that, but the style is really more like their communication style. So some people are familiar with Myers-Briggs or the DISC program or a combination of those. But, but if you haven't had that, no worries. Just think about that person and are they typically personality-wise direct or indirect? Are they typically outgoing or a little quieter? Those kinds of descriptions will help you. This is a blueprint for working with people. Now, the third column is likes. So I would just find out what do they like about their job? And a lot of times people tell me the people, the challenge, the variety, the paycheck. And then I ask them what frustrates them, which is the next column, frustrated. And you know what they say? The same thing. The people, the challenge, the variety, the paycheck. But I really would love to hear their context of that. And that's why I'm trying to get to know them. 
The next column talks about skills. And then I, as I mentioned, I have my view and a team view. My view with the plus and a minus is simply this. I notice what they're good at, what they seem to have a natural affinity for and are competent at. And then I notice what they seem not to be so great at. It's not their specialty. And then under team view, I would ask the person, what is their plus and minus? I'd say, hey, you know, what, what's your strongest strength that you bring to the team? You know, what's your, your big strength? And then I ask them, what's something you think you need to work on? So now I have this collected inventory, if you will, based on my views and based on their own views. And so I watch them. I watch them to catch them doing the right things right. So uh, let me give an example. If somebody said, well, I'm great with numbers, but I'm not great with people, we would hope that our, our perceptions match. What if somebody who is great with numbers, who is not great with people, told you he was great with people? You have some, uh, shall we say, gap closing to do. You're going to have to dig a little bit deeper and say, really, how so? And then see how that goes. Um, and then you need to probably help that person, you know, a little bit to get that realistic version. And then finally, you have this column called customized appreciation. Customized appreciation is, is a way for us to find out what can I do or say to make you really feel appreciated for a job well done. And you would be surprised at how many times people, um, it, it, it might not take much at all, but you'd be surprised at how much we assume and our assumptions are not always on target. Just because it's what we would like doesn't mean it's what they would like. I again have my uh, mention of the Cool Tools bonus pack, https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash the number three mrx capital Q L V. Great blueprint to learn how best you can meaningfully connect. Now, I would ask you not to have this out in front of you, filling this out. It's kind of a stealth thing, okay? So your goal and your team member's goal is to obtain what we call a high ROI, return on interaction. Recall my reminder to be ever mindful to be there when you're there. Be there when you're there. This is a long-term project, so you can take the time to understand their superpowers and shortcomings. Your reconnaissance will be via observing and asking. This is a stealth activity, as I mentioned. Don't bring your chart out. Rather, try to find out a little bit about them by asking, and then record it in a private moment. This becomes a blueprint for many engaging activities. The first thing you can do here is use it to confirm what skills they're trying to improve. If they told you they want to get better with reports, notice. Notice and, and make, make a statement. You know, you told me reports aren't your favorite thing and you're knocking it out of the park. You're getting these in on time. You're checking them for accuracy. This is awesome. You have to make sure that you're, you're noticing what they said they want to improve on. Let's look for that. Second, catch them doing their right things right. Third, acknowledge their skill building. Fourth, thank them in a way that is meaningful per their answer. And fifth, communicate in a way that is most effective with each style. Now, on page 87, at the top of the page, I have a, a graphic, and it's, a, it's an iceberg. And many of us have heard about icebergs and how only about 10% of the iceberg is above the water surface, and about 90% of the iceberg is below the water surface. 
I want you to imagine the above the surface things are things that people are doing or saying and that we can observe in some way. Some of us will see them. Some of us will hear them. Some of us might sense them. Okay. And so part of that that we can see that we have to understand the way we say things get done is at the top side, but we're talking procedures, structures, goals, and policies. But what's underneath the surface of us all would be our beliefs, our perceptions, our traditions, our values, our norms, unwritten rules, feelings. Everything is below the surface that literally will cause us to do the response above the surface. But we really need to understand that there's so much going on below the surface for most of us. And that is a direct reflection on an action that we take above the surface. The team motivation chart. Oh, and I have a a source for this actual graphic that I'm explaining to you. It's, It's HTTPS colon, forward slash, forward slash, es dot slideshare dot net, forward slash, capital E185, forward slash, ms dash lecture dash four dash org dash structure dash and dash culture dash part dash two. The team motivation chart origin. I fashioned this chart after one of my early gurus innovations. You may be familiar with Harvey McKay's work, Swim with the Sharks, and what they don't teach you at the Harvard Business School. His company sold number 10 envelopes with a little window on the front. If you ever received a bill via snail mail, uh, you've got one of these um, number 10 envelopes to expedite your payment was always included. The point was there was a great deal of competition on this type of product. So to distinguish from the sea of competitors, Harvey came up with a plan to create rapport. He designed the McKay 66. 66 questions were printed on the client's file folder. All the questions were designed to learn more about you and your challenges, your world, your life. Uh, To get your own Harvey McKay 66 form, you can go to this website that I've found for you. The URL is https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash three capital Z N A Y F six. Check out the actual document on the link. It's quite extensive. So If, say, a client had a kid attending Texas A&M University, he made a note on the form. You can bet that on the next call, he would ask about the Aggie football game. He might even know some of the alumni. You get the picture. The team motivation chart's all about you knowing more about your people so you can create a strong rapport and a super high ROI. Now, I ran into Harvey at a recent National Speakers Association event, and he was delighted to hear I still fervently use the McKay 66 concept for so many things. Um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, when I, I did ask him to uh, autograph my McKay 66 booklet, 
And you know what he wrote on there? He said, Kelly, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Don't you love that? Leader's note, the platinum rule. You know, most of us know about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Dr. Tony Alessandro pioneered the platinum rule in his program, Relationship Strategies. He reminds us to do unto others as they prefer. See, most of us thank people the way we like to be thanked. See, that's golden rule stuff, okay? True story. I love cards. Thank yous, girls, thinking of you, get well soon, etc. So my classic mode to thank people was via a carefully picked card. I'd stamp it, mail it to their home address. I thought it would be well-received compared to the bills and the junk mail. Well, after sending almost five cards to one of my colleagues, she happened to open one in front of me at work. She must have grabbed her mail to open at work on her lunch break or something. I'd never seen anyone open a card I'd sent. Exciting, or so I thought. Well, she opened it right in front of me. And she said, well, thank you, Kelly. This is really nice. And then she threw it in the trash can right in front of me. I know, right? I grabbed my heart <laughs> and stared in shocked disbelief at the trash can. She saw my reaction and immediately retrieved it, saying, I'm sorry. How long did you want me to keep it? And I said, forever? <laughs> because Cards are important to me, you know? I, I do keep them forever. How many cards had I sent to people who really aren't card people? Wowza. Great reset moment. I'm going to call this the GRM. I asked her how I could show my appreciation for a job well done, and she said, just look me right in the eye and say an authentic thank you. She continued, I'm real low maintenance like that, and then... I'm good to go. And just like that, I learned so much by being there, really hearing from her how she liked to be thanked. So here's a question for you. What GRMs, Great Reset Moments, have you had lately? Chapter 7. Simplify, Simplify, Simplify. Simplify, a verb. Make something easier or simpler to do or understand. In today's fast-paced world, we're bombarded with endless information and responsibilities. To avoid getting burnout out and maintain a healthy work-life balance, it's essential to simplify our lives. By cutting the clutter, streamlining our schedules, and focusing on what's truly important, we can reduce stress, boost productivity, and find more joy in our daily lives. Here are 10 things you can cancel out of your life to be more productive and happier. Here we go. Number one, cancel unnecessary subscriptions or memberships. Number two, cut back on or eliminate social media or internet use that is not productive or fulfilling. Number three, cancel plans or commitments that do not align with your values or goals. Number four, Eliminate tasks or activities that are not necessary and do not bring value to your life. Number five, cancel relationships or connections that are toxic or negative. 
Number six, cut back on or eliminate unnecessary expenses, such as dining out or buying unnecessary items. That you know, we don't mean this all the time, but sometimes we get a little overboard. That's my caveat. Number seven, cancel meetings or appointments that are not necessary or productive. Number eight, eliminate unnecessary clutter or possessions that do not bring joy or value to your life. Number nine, cancel negative self-talk or limiting beliefs that hold you back. And number 10, cut back on or eliminate activities that drain your energy or time without providing any benefit. Hmm. Starting on page 94, 15 ways you can simplify your life. Simplify your, here we go, your home. Number one, by decluttering and getting rid of unnecessary items. Number two, your daily routine. Simplify that by eliminating unnecessary tasks or activities. Simplify your schedule by setting clear priorities and focusing on more important tasks. Simplify your financial life by creating a budget, cutting back on unnecessary expenses. Simplify your relationships. This is number five, by focusing on the most important and meaningful connections. Number six, simplify your work environment by decluttering and organizing your space. Number seven, simplify your meal planning and grocery shopping by focusing on simple, healthy meals. Number nine, simplify your wardrobe by getting rid of clothes that you no longer wear or that do not fit your current style. Number nine, simplify your personal care routine by using fewer products and focusing on essentials. Number 10, simplify entertainment options by cutting back on unnecessary subscriptions or commitments. Number 11, simplify health and wellness routine by focusing on the most important self-care practices. Number 12, simplify travel plans by cutting back on unnecessary trips or activities. Number 13, simplify home maintenance by focusing on the most important tasks and outsourcing or delegating the rest. Number 14, simplify your digital life by organizing and decluttering your computer and phone and eliminating unnecessary apps or accounts. And finally, number 15, simplify your environmental clutter by thoughtfully surrounding your workspace and your play space with useful items and decor. This is page 96. Are you ready to try a digital detox? Taking a digital detox involves intentionally disconnecting from digital devices and technology, such as smartphones, computers, and social media. It can be beneficial because excessive use of technology can have a negative impact on mental health and well-being, leading to feelings of anxiety and stress. By taking a break, individuals can reestablish healthier habits. Here we go. The top 10 reasons to do a digital detox. Number one, to reduce stress and improve your mental health. Excessive screen time can contribute to feelings of stress, anxiety, and this Digital detox can help you relax and recharge. Number two, to improve your sleep quality. The blue light emitted by your screens can disrupt sleep patterns, and a digital detox can help you establish a healthy sleep routine. Number three, to strengthen relationships. 
Disconnecting from technology can allow you to focus on building and maintaining meaningful connections with others. Number four, to increase productivity, eliminating those distractions and limiting screen time can help you focus on important tasks and be more productive. Number five, to improve your physical health can lead to increased physical activity and improved overall health. Number six, to rediscover hobbies and interests. Disconnecting from tech can allow you to rediscover and pursue those things you might have neglected. Number seven, to reduce exposure to harmful content, a digital detox can help you limit your exposure to that. Number eight, to improve communication skills. Disconnecting from tech can allow you to practice and improve your face-to-face communications. Number nine, to protect personal information. It help you limit the amount of personal information you share online, maybe improving your privacy and security. And number 10, to foster a sense of mindfulness and presence. Oh, there's that presence word again. It can help you be more present and mindful rather than consistently being connected to technology. Question, how do I get loved ones to participate in a digital detox? Here we go. Try these things. Number one, communicate the benefits to your loved ones, such as reduce stress, improve relations, increase productivity. Number two, try this. Set a good example by participating in the detox yourself and demonstrate the positive effects it can have on your own life. Number three, invite your loved ones to join you. Make it a shared experience, maybe a challenge. Number four, plan alternative activities or outings to do together during the detox, like going for a hike or having a game night or cooking a meal together. Number five, offer support and encouragement to your loved ones as they participate. Help them stay motivated. Number six, discuss any concerns or challenges they may have about doing the detox and work together on solutions. Number seven, consider offering incentives or rewards for participating in a digital detox, like a special outing or an activity. Number eight, be understanding and patient with your loved ones as they adjust to the detox. And remember, it may take some time for them to fully embrace the benefits. After the detox is over, encourage your loved ones to continue incorporating mindful technology and use into their daily lives. Now, if you do the digital detox, I want you to get back with me. My email is kelly, K-E-L-L-I, at kellyv.com. I would like to know if you cut down your screen time. I would love to know and celebrate with you. I am, I am still working on this. It's a, it's a, it's a process. Page 99. Let's talk about those shiny red balls, shall we? Distractions have always been part of our lives, mine especially. I really do have diagnosed ADD. But I've been hanging in here for this book. You guys got to give me credit for that. Your best bet for heightened productivity and minimal stress is to reset your distraction strategy. Here are a few ideas to kickstart. 10 best ways to productively deal with distractions. So try these. Number one, set clear goals and priorities for your tasks and projects and focus on one task at a time. Number two, create a to-do list or schedule to plan and organize your tasks. Um, Let me add to this. When you do a to-do list, move the item over into your schedule, into an actual scheduled time. I promise you, you will get more done if you just do that one thing. Number three, find a quiet and distraction-free workspace, if possible. 
or at least minimized, to help you focus. Number four, use productivity tools and techniques like the Pomodoro technique. Some of you are familiar with that. It's a, it's a, it's a kitchen timer that looks like a tomato, and that's why it takes the Italian name Pomodoro. Um, but whatever timing, you have timers on your phone, you can use that. Um, or the 5217 rule to help you manage your time and stay on track. Um, more on that, but, you know, 52 days a week, one new habit a week, that kind of a thing is one way to stay on track. And number five, take regular breaks to rest and recharge and incorporate activities that help you relax and refocus, like meditation or exercise. Number six, set limits on your use of tech and social media. Consider using apps or tools to block distracting websites or clanging notifications. Number seven, minimize distractions by decluttering your workspace and eliminating unnecessary tasks or activities. For those of you who will know that even if it's just cluttered by touch, you've got to have streamlined straight lines to all the things you need to use. Number eight, use white noise or music to block out external distractions and create more focused environments. Number nine, seek help or support from friends and colleagues or a coach or mentor to help you stay on track and overcome distractions. Number 10, practice mindfulness and focus techniques like deep breathing or 54321 method, which is like once you hit the countdown, you get up and do something or help you stay present and focused on your work. Refer to our mindfulness chapter to review ideas. Chapter eight, skill set. Definition 1A, the ability to use one's knowledge effectively and readily in execution or performance. B, dexterity or coordination, especially in the execution of learned physical tasks. Second definition, a learned power of doing something competently, a developed aptitude or ability. Favorite exchange I had with a CEO. Question. He said to me, he looked both ways and he leaned in and he goes, Kelly, what if we train our people and they leave? And I looked around and I lowered my voice and I said, what if you don't train them and they stay? A leader plays a critical role in spearheading skill set development by encouraging and providing opportunities for growth, learning and development. So here's some strategies to reinforce the learning. For rewards and recognition, organizations can offer all of these to employees to pursue learning opportunities to acquire new skills. So bonuses, promotions, and certificates of achievement. So find out what your talent considers a valuable reward. It may not be what you think. Career advancement. We're talking real upward movement here. We're not talking about a glorified new and improved title. You know, if we have 100 VPs, it diminishes the elevated career move. Put some thought into that. Performance evaluation. Consider evaluating employee performance based on learning and skill development. Personal development plans. This can help to identify learning opportunities that are aligned with an employee's interests and career goals. A key reason employees have left is that they felt like they weren't advancing in their careers. Learning budgets. This can be a good form of financial support for training, courses, conferences, Access to learning resources, ebooks, online, on demand courses, etc. By incentivizing this, you can certainly help with that culture of continuous learning to attract and retain good talent. Question 
How do we capture the intellectual capital knowledge of the huge retiring segment of boomers? That would be baby boomers. Answer. Capturing the intellectual capital knowledge of the retiring segment can be a critical challenge. Here are some strategies to do that. One, you can have what we call knowledge transfer programs. You can create a structured knowledge transfer program that will enable anyone that be, is retiring to share their expertise with inexperienced or lesser experienced newer employees. This can be done through mentoring, coaching, or job shadowing, for instance. Also, documenting processes and procedures. You can capitalize and capture this institutional knowledge, this intellectual capital, as we call it, by documenting processes and procedures. Encouraging knowledge sharing. You can encourage the retiring people to share their knowledge and experience through group discussions, workshops, seminars. You know, one group I work with has a team member who wears a go-cam on his head, like, like, a, like a Spielunker miner's light, you know, in the middle of his head. And um, he's interviewing outgoing employees on the nuances of their procedures. And they now have a virtual library of microlearning for onboarding and reinforcement. It's like a really great orientation program. And it's covering every single procedure that that person has done. And you can do it organization-wide. Offer flexible work options. Organizations can offer flexible work options, such as part-time work, consulting, contract work, to retain retiring boomers, to keep them around so we can still keep that wonderful intellectual capital nearby. Investing in technology. You can invest in technology like knowledge management systems, collaboration tools, e-learning platforms. Store and share that knowledge for all these retiring people. By implementing these strategies, you can certainly help ensure continuity and institutional knowledge while you enable your organization to remain competitive. Right, we are on page 105. Celebrate and accelerate. We know we can better manage processes and progresses that we measure. Here is an ongoing scorecard for you on this page for your teams to use as a skill-building tool. Now, here is what I have here. It's really simple. It's three columns. That's it. The first column is called What's Working. The second column is called What Needs Work. And the third column has an RX, you know, like a pharmacist symbol, and a colon, and it says R, success strategy. So let me tell you how this works. This is a great way to celebrate what's working so we can all learn from our successes and best practices. We can accelerate what needs work by continuous awareness and improvements of the gaps around us. So example, everything in the first column were things you'd love to brag about, but the things that you, you and your teams would celebrate. Hey, this is awesome. We made a deadline. We did a great communication handoff. We found a new innovative way to help somebody. Those are all huge, wonderful celebrations. They go in the what's working column. In the what needs work, it could be the opposite of all those. We missed a deadline, whatever, whatever. Um, and then you want to look all the way across and say, well, what are we, what are we doing as a plan to close the gap on that middle column there? What's our strategy? So, so one of my favorite phrases with my teams is let's do a little gap closing. This is a non-confrontational reality check on our priorities, projects, 
and procedures. This mindset reset will pay big dividends to your ongoing success as a collaborative organization. We're at chapter nine, page 106. Hit the reset button, action planning checklist. As my cousin Aristotle said, to know and not do is the same as not knowing. In addition to all the strategies I've outlined in the preceding chapters, I've compiled a list of over 75 specific things you and your teams can do, emphasize, underline, in bold, do, to hit the reset button in six critical areas of your world. Here we go. The first area is called connect better. Well, the first thing I have on this list is one-on-one -on -one eye contact. And I know for some of you, it's going to be a little bit different for that. But this list is intact as I have it. I believe you need to have be there contact. And I'm going to make that a little bit of a change here. Number two, look away from your smartphone, device, email, or feet to talk to someone. Again, I know this is a look reference, but for some of you, it might be take your hands away from that device or stop fidgeting with a device or anything along those lines. That's what I mean. We need to connect. Remember the be there. Number three, make a list of your top 20 advocates. Decide how you will connect once a month with each of them. Number four, a phone check-in. Number five, an email of a hot tip article of interest. Number six, stop by someone's desk and have a visit. Number seven, send a link to a group they might find of value. Number eight, learn more about social media. Know a Twitter from a tweet. Number nine, invite someone to a seminar, lunch, or lunch and learn. Number 10, ask them what they do to handle a current challenge that you or your team is having. Number 11, listen or, oh, that's a good one. Number 12, let their conversation be center stage. Don't steal the spotlight and start talking about how you too have had that happen until you comment on their pain first. Not saying you can't jump in but jump in later. Number 13, make a concerted effort to let it be about them, especially when they're discussing difficulties. Number 14, ask more, tell less. Number 15, let them own a job, a project, or a position. Number 16, ask them to be solutions finders each and every day. My quote here is, connections crosses barriers and helps us learn faster. And this next section is called Control Better. So as I'm reading through these, I want you to start thinking, what's one of these or two of these that I could actually start on? Like, really, like right away. How do I control better? Number one, accept what is in your immediate circle of can control, which means there is a can't control there, right? Number two, work hard on finding a way to influence what's not in your control by knowing where the gold nuggets of value are to the person who can control or act upon it. Number three, control when you check emails, messages, or voicemails. Number four, plan your day before diving into your email abyss. Number five, post 
hot three post-its and obvious reminder areas everywhere that you might touch or look often, check off your items or where you check things to re-up your list after a brief re-priority confirmation. You know, some of what you thought would flow next might have shifted in a position due to the day's happenings. So always re-up your hottest three priorities. And you can do this in one-hour increments, or you can do it before lunch, after lunch. You know, like, what must I get done? What are three things I really need to get done before lunch? What are three things I did before lunch? You know, really do a little bit of a recap so you can feel good about it. Number six, have your full to-do list out where drop-ins and drive-bys can see it or at least be aware of it so you can apprise them of what you're really doing. It's not like you're joking when you say you're in a time crunch. Number seven, pretend you're on a plane and cannot turn your phone on for a few precious minutes because there's just no Wi-Fi or there's no mobile, which we hope there it won't be for a long time. But while you breathe and get your day back on track. Number eight, consider letting a phone call roll until you have all you need to expedite the call. Number nine, email people before your deliverables are finished. Just to let them know you got the request and it's in progress. People just want to be heard. So affirm this by checking in even before it's finished. If they call you, call them back when you can. If they email you, email them back. But just to say, hey, got it, working on it. Number 10, let people know when you're swamped. Let your actions match your speech when you say, I'm really in a crutch deadline. Can we talk a little later and stand up while you're saying it? Number 11, if somebody says, got a minute, check your time on your watch somehow. And say, I really do have about five minutes right now. If that's not enough, can we meet later? When five minutes have passed, you can now look at your watch again or check your watch and say, wow, it's been five minutes already. Can we chat a little bit later? And do. Number 12, be known for starting and ending meetings on time. People talk. If you can't say no, at least try to negotiate the now. It makes no sense to worry about things you have no control over because there's nothing you can do about it. And why worry about things you do control? The activity of worrying keeps you immobilizing. Now we're on page 110. Cancel better. What do you need to cut out or diminish in your world to free up more quality time? And we talked about some of this in our Simplify chapter, but here's some deeper dives into this. Number one. Mental anguish about changes or behaviors you refuse to accept as real. In other words, we need to cut that out. Number two, uh uh-oh, I don't know how some of you are going to like this one. Whiner friends who never seem to cut anyone or anything any slack. Everything is hopeless. And they just really unload all the time, like super Debbie Downers. Number three, are there any habits you could drop like the screen sucking that comes from mindless zombie email or Facebook checking or TikTok scrolling? Yeah. Number four, try less TV and more thoughtful moments on creative problem solving. Number five, read for 20 minutes a day on a topic that you will be helped by. Maybe it'll help your stress level. Maybe your needed job competencies. Maybe your relationships. Things that could get better. Number six, read a fresh perspective and get away from reality TV. Number seven, write a note or card to someone who's made a difference in your life or to someone who thinks you are the world to them. Number eight, pause, think, regroup, ask. What habits are serving me? What habits are swerving me? Number nine, 
Reprioritize. Number 10, expand your mind after going inward to clarify your real goals of time, energy, and motion. Distinguish motion for progress and rethink accordingly. Number 11, do you really have to, to have or attend that meeting or just part of it? Number 12, can we communicate another effective way? Do we really need to use nine steps to do this? Or will five work just fine? How does your designator slacker do it? Could he be on to something? Focus on the output of all your time and energies. You know, I always heard, if you give the laziest person the hardest job, he will show you the easiest way to do that job. That has always been true. But sometimes those shortcuts still match our parameters. Watch out for that. Thirteen, treat your time and energy like precious gems that cannot be wasted idly. Number fourteen, pick your battles. What if you win all day long, but you lose friends at a job or relationship? Think about it. All right. Another one of our C's is create better. Number one, find systems that work for you. Filing, phone, contact, social media, networking, communicating, etc. Just experiment. Number two, ask others how they handle information overload. Number three, read a few bites on the subject of better, faster ways to do things. Number four, become an expert of time used wisely. Number five, when problem solving, hang a poster that says find a way and study it while you ask questions like, what would get us closer to our goal of blank? How would we handle this if we could add no more resources of time, money, or staff to help us? Number six, have a positive solutions-only meeting mindset. Every comment has to be some positive possible solution to help us get closer to fixing or referring or next stepping the challenge. I'm not suggesting you do this at every meeting. I'm saying you have to have a very specific goal, and the goal of this meeting is for the positive solution suggestions. Okay? We are on page 112. Care better. Number one, care about the people and the outcome. Number two, want to be part of the journey to victory. Number three, people want to be understood, valued, and appreciated. This is the UVA sun rays that are good. Number four, set some time each week to ponder the strengths and limitations of each player. Number five, fill your team motivation chart, your cool tools. Bring the duh to light so you can duh light your people. If I had my bell here, I'd ring it right now and you would be smiling. I hope you're smiling. I hope you're smiling. I love my job. Number, oh, that was number six, sorry. Number seven, reassure the worker bees, solid, hardworking citizens when they're doing a good job. Number eight. Find out how they like to be appreciated. Make note and do it whenever you can. Number nine, ask them questions on the chart, like what they like and don't like about their jobs. When they do that part about what they don't like, ask them, please do not write the names of any people, okay? Number 10, remind people how the task at hand ties into the thing they said they like when it does. Remind them that if they can learn to accomplish the stuff they don't like, it brings them closer to more of the stuff that they do like about their job. Number 11, care enough to trust people. 
to do the job they were, they've been hired to do. Don't micromanage. Number 12. If people show lack of understanding or skill, ask them to show you or tell you what they do next if the project goes south. Number 13. Learn how they think before assuming they're not thinking at all. We all come from different backgrounds and express things differently. Number 14. Ask more, tell less. Number 15. Remember, BRIR is an acronym that stands for Behavior Rewarded is Repeated. Number 16. Start giving random deposits. Please see the inspiring blueprint in the Cool Tools Pack. And now we're on page 114, bringing it home. Cultivate better. Number one, invest more time and energy on what's working than on what's not. People, systems, and ideas. Number two, grow and capitalize on the, green, the dream makers, the worker bees, the solution finders. Number three, don't dwell on the stuff that doesn't or hasn't worked yet. Number four, find another way. Number five, keep chiseling on that work of marble. Okay, so let me explain number five. Somebody asked, I think it was, Michelangelo. He had done this amazing sculpture of an angel. And they said, Michelangelo, how did you do that? And he said, I saw the angel trapped in the marble, and I just chiseled until I set her free. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so keep chiseling. We all have an angel trapped in there somewhere. And great ideas. Number six, keep polishing your skills and your awareness of solutions surrounding you. Seven, cultivate your mind by doing left and right brain exercises like Wordle or Sudoku or Bridge or whatever, but something. Do something to keep your brain going. Number eight, check out the book Blink, B-L-I-N-K by Ed Hallowell. It'll make you think. Uh, he did another book, Ed Hallowell did, called Crazy Busy. And it's, it tells about how we're all dealing with the information overload. I highly recommend it, no matter where you are in the spectrum. You can get a hold of Crazy Busy. My most valuable card that I have in my wallet is my library card. And I have this really cool app called Libby, L-A-B-B-Y. I think it's like library thing. And I could get all these great books for free including Reader's Digest. And let me say, really good jokes. Still really great jokes in Reader's Digest, my friends. All right, number nine. Drive home a different way from work. You get used to driving a certain way. And you can literally shake it up a little bit so that your brain gets used to changes. And then you get better when the changes get bigger. Number 10, wear your watch on the wrong hand all day or hold your smartphone with the opposite hand again. Little changes to strengthen that muscle of change. Number 11, here's one. Put your pants on differently um, in the morning when you get dressed, starting with the other leg first. Now, this is really important. You must lean on a wall the first time you do this. Or if you live with somebody, you're going to have to explain why you have fallen over with your pants down around your ankles. Number 12, do crosswords. Oh, like I mentioned already, Wordle, Cryptic, Sudoku, play chess, Scrabble, or Bridge. And number 13, to bring it home. Keep your mind active, and it will actively serve you, and more creative problem-solving skills will come to you because of that. All right, your turn. Bottom of page 115. 
reality check. After giving some serious thought to working with laser focus, choose at least two items per category that I've just read you to hit your reset button. So I have a, a little form here that says, here are some ways I will, and then I have connect better, and then there's a space for you to write yours, control better, to cancel better, to create better, to care better, and to cultivate better. Page 116, next steps. What do I do now? What will the next steps be after reading this book to help others hit the reset button? Well, after reading Hit the Reset Button, you'll have the tools and knowledge you need to hit the reset button in your own life. However, the true value of this book lies in the ability to share what you've learned with others and help them hit the reset button too in their own lives. Here are some next steps you could take to help others. Number one, you could start by sharing what you've learned with your colleagues, your friends, and your family members. You could talk to them about the concepts and strategies outlined in the book. You could encourage them to try it for themselves. The second thing you could do is consider leading a book club or having a discussion group centered around Hit the Reset button. This can be a great way to create a supportive community focused on personal and professional growth. Remember, there are a lot of questions in this book, questions that have answers that can be critical to your success. Number three, if you're a manager, consider implementing some of the strategies outlined in the book with your teams. Encourage open communication, set clear goals, focus on optimizing each team member's mindset, heart set, soul set, and skill set. And number four, consider becoming a coach or mentor to others who are looking to hit the reset button in their own lives. Use the strategies outlined in the book as a framework for your coaching sessions and provide support and guidance as needed. Remember, hitting the reset button is a lifelong journey. By sharing what you've learned with others and providing support and encouragement, you can help them achieve their goals and realize their full potential. End of text. Page 118 is information about Kelly Verla CSP. That's me. Ways Kelly B can engage you and your teams. And there's a series of bullet points here keynotes, coaching workshops, VIP interviews with your all-stars, breakout sessions, on-site or off-site retreats, webinars, podcast video, audio, video quick tips series, MC or panels. Save the date with Kelly V. Phone number 469-569-3907. Website www.kellyv.com. Email address, K-E-L-L-I at K-E-L-L-I-V dot com. Page 119, about the author, Kelly Verla, CSP. For those of you who don't know, CSP stands for Certified Speaking Professional. I also have three more letters that I love to have behind my name, and those are GPE, and that stands for Greek Pastry Enthusiast. The, uh, Bio here says, Road Warrior for Workplace Engagement is on a quest to help hardworking pros increase staff engagement and diminish distractions with a keen eye on the bottom line. She can usually be found giving impromptu seminars to unsuspecting passengers on one of her many delayed flights to an engagement keynote or workshop. 
That is no joke. That is so true. Let's connect, enjoy the journey, and pass it on. Engagement expert and Greek pastry enthusiast. <laughs> I can't even say it. Opa Yong. Please check in with me. Please let me know how you're doing. Please note that I also have um, an, an on-site and online learning group called Engage University. And that website is www.engage, E-N-G-A-G-E, university, Y-O-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y dot com. I wish for all of you to engage, inspire, and delight. I hope for all of you to hit the reset button. You know, in Greek, we have a word. We say opa. And opa means we are toasting your life, your health, your happiness, and your abundance. So when we say opa to people, they say it back to each other. So I say to all of you, opa. And I love to hear you say it back when I see you. Take good care, my friends. It's been a real pleasure letting you know how to hit the reset button. This is Kelly V signing off for now. Take good care, y'all.